Welcome to Resilience Unraveled. Hi everybody and welcome to Resilience Unraveled, a podcast that examines all aspects of personal and organisational resilience. A huge all-encompassing subject that covers the ability to thrive in life by harnessing your cognitive, emotional, physiological and contextual abilities. I share stories from people who have thrived despite remarkable obstacles, as well as highly successful practitioners and experts across a range of topics. And this podcast introduces their amazing stories and expertise, as well as my own reflections, perspectives, strategies and tips, which come from my own synthesis of themes and trends from wider learning. You can go to qedod.com forward slash extras to access offers, tools and resources, including free articles and eBooks. For those of you that would be interested in supporting our work and contributing more proactively, you can find our new Patreon page at patreon.com. Then search for Resilience Space Unraveled. So, let's get started. Enjoy the show. So, hi and welcome back to Resilience Unraveled. Today, a very interesting episode because someone who does pretty well what I do, but from a different perspective, in a different world, in a different time zone, and with a different accent. Today, our guest is Eileen Mapdahl. And before this podcast started, I had to have lessons on how to say that name. So how did I do, Eileen? You did, you did great. You did great. I'd like to start with a little bit of showing off and self-esteem stroking. So Eileen, I can tell immediately by that accent of yours that you're across the pond. Tell me where you are. I am. I am sitting in Southern California. And believe it or not, I don't have sun. It is what we call June glooms. Wow. So it was actually misty rain this morning when I went for my five-mile run. Can you see the sunshine behind me? Look at this. Yes, this I is, can. This is the I know. day. Make, make me, there's no such thing as climate change, is there? Apparently <laughs> not. So, so Eileen, tell us a little bit, of, well, describe what it is you do. Tell us, tell us a little bit about yourself. Well, actually, I, people call me a hope merchant. And basically what it is, is that I am a hope merchant who uses words, both the written and the spoken word. Um, I have had my own consulting practice. I can't believe it, but I am really going to say this for 40 years, which is incredible because I'm only 21. I don't Uh, know how that happened. I can tell. Um, (laughs) And uh, my field has always been in the field of communication. And so I look at how, how do leaders communicate with, with their, their staff, their stakeholders. But over time, I become more and more intrigued in this notion of resiliency. And, um, and my audiences will range everything from global pharmaceuticals to the U.S. Armed Forces to um, hospital administrators to, to, school, to school districts. So they're all across the board because at the end of the day, communication is the thing that binds us together. Mm-hmm. But the deal with resiliency for me, Russell, was really when 9-11 hit the U.S. Yeah. And I, I began to how is it that you survive something that is for us? Uh, was the biggest thing that we had experienced um, in in modern time. And from that, I began to look at what is it that allows people to be resilient. And also at that time, I ended up taking care of my mother uh, for the last six years of her life, uh, which taught me a whole lot about not only what I needed to do in order to care for her, uh, but also how to care 
for my family. And, and one of the things I finally came down to the realization, and people kept telling me this, and I didn't believe it until I finally had to say, you know, you're right, that at the end of the day, resilience, whether you're talking about resilient relationships or resilient organization, your own personal resiliency is all about energy management. Great. How do I have the mental, emotional, physical energy to keep on keeping on? So that's, so that's, so that's, that, so that's interesting. Let me just leap in if I may. No, so, please. Because a lot of people will be listening to us talking about resilience as we describe it, resiliency. Uh, and we haven't, we need to un- unpack a little bit about what it is. So not how do you define it, but what do you think resilience is all about? I mean, you were getting to it around the energy, but if you explore that a bit more for me, please. Okay. And this one's going to push against you, Russell, because what I say is resiliency is not what it says in the dictionary. Because what in the dictionary, it implies that, and I'll I'll paraphrase Webster, is that an object under compressive stress, when the stress is up, the object returns to its original position. In other words, it, quote, bounces back to where it is. Well, that's fine if you're a tree or you're a piece of steel. But I do not believe human beings go back. There's no such thing as back. We are forever changed with every incident, with every event that happens in our life. So to me, what resiliency is, is the ability to grow through challenge or opportunity so that you end up better, wiser, smarter, kinder, whatever, on the other side. So it's all about growth. So if there's no growth, we really haven't done this whole resiliency thing. Uh, It also, one of the other things the dictionary says is that it uses the word quickly, to quickly recover. Well, (laughs) depending on what the event is, there's no quickly. Then also notice that I say it's challenge or opportunity. If you're presented with a great opportunity, Russell, it's going to require a lot of resiliency, a lot of energy on your part to take advantage of what that opportunity is that has been mm. given to you. So, so, so that's interesting because because actually I would suggest we were violently agreeing if more than anything else, because, um, because actually, I, you know, the, the phrase bouncing back, I think is, uh, is, is not, well, it's actually something we've le- left behind. We, if, if you have to say anything, it's bouncing forward in a funny sort of yes. sense, because, yeah. you know, and actually, you know, when I talk to leaders, I actually say you should be able to count the number, the amount of learning that's taken place every month than your team because of resilience because without the ability to take risks and and fall apart or you know you know make mistakes you will never learn and so that Mm -hmm. is the point isn't it you should be we should be encouraging building resilience it's a skill set it's it's good what you just said is a skill set because i believe resiliency is a life skill yeah, exactly. It's not a, oh, crap, everything fell apart. Now I need to become resilient. Yeah. You, it, it's, um, in fact, one of the verbs I use with it is cultivate. Yeah. And if you think about when you cultivate a field, yeah. you have to uh, so, you know, dig up Flowers. the soil. You got yeah. rid of all the clods and stuff. You yeah. got to plant the seed. You got to water. You got to weed. Um, and so cultivating resiliency is, you know, it's like cultivating a, a garden. And so it's, it's over time. And sometimes it, it takes a long time before it blossoms. And then you have to keep coming back. So it's, so it's never, so it, it really is never ending. Yes. And that's a good thing because actually that's, uh, you, you can actually, you can actually say over my right shoulder, our model of resilience. And you'll see in the middle is the word potential. Because actually uh, all of resilience, all of life, all of humans, um, 
progress is about potential, isn't it, really? Uh, and and the, the extent to which we liberate or, or restrict our own potential. You know, it's, it's, so here you are sitting in, you're just, you're close to Southampton, right? That's right. That's where yeah. You're, yeah, yeah. Well, I've just discovered this and I am going to, I am going to write about this and probably speak about it because I think it is pertinent for what's happening to us today in this world. In 1850, there was this massive storm that swept across England, just took down five ships and all of the men aboard, gone. Another ship that was headed to Ireland went down, gone. And when the storm finally passed, on Orkney Island, there off the coast of Scotland. When the villagers went out, this, the combination of this massive storm and the winds and the rain and the tide and the waves, lo and behold, at this place called Scarabray, Scarabray, it had ripped off the whole topsoil. And what the villagers looked down to discover was an entire village, a village that was older than Stonehenge, older than the pyramids, a Neolithic village. And it has occurred to me that what's happening right now for us, everything from here in the United States, there's horrible social unrest, the global pandemic, the COVID-19, economic, severe economic downturns, that what we have done finally is the topsoil has been ripped away. Mm. And we're now looking at, oh my gosh, what have we buried? What have we kicked down? What have we not looked at? We buried it because, you know, it's the way we've always done things. That's what organizations do. You just keep piling more and more and more on top. So now what we have is an opportunity to be resilient, to begin to say, how do we create the world that we want, the business that we want, the nation that we want, the community that we want. Um, and I find this actually very positive. If in fact, individuals and leaders will begin to see how do we now become adaptable which is what you, yes. you use the word innovative. How do we think about these things differently now that the topsoil is off? And that's the key, isn't it? Because it's very easy to go, well, it's, it's, it's actually almost human nature to go back to what we always did and call it the new thing. And, yeah. um, and for me, you know, the idea of imagination, ingenuity, and innovation is the key. Because unless you do that bit, you really just end up with the same old, same old, because the culture is always stronger than the change. And actually what we're seeing in America with Black Lives Matter and uh, transgender the world, you know, some of the, uh, the, the rise of the millennials, you know, what we're seeing is seismic changes, you know, the yeah. way that society is changing. And, um, and I always find it interesting to see that it's, it's often our generation that's holding, holding the culture still, because of course, we're, you know, we're the, we have the most to gain from it. We're the, we have the white privilege, and actually, yeah. it's really, it's actually hardest for us to be able to see because, of course, we've been part of it and benefited from it all for our it lives. Is. So this idea of being imaginative is, you know, it's allowing the, it's allowing cultures to break, which is key. But without, and the risk at the moment is that culture could break in, into quite a catastrophic way at the moment because of uh, some quite malign forces at the world. So resilience for me is about how you reform and regroup and innovate and move forward rather than being hijacked because it's a slightly vulnerable phase, isn't it? 
That's an interesting term, hijacked, which means when you think about a, if a plane is hijacked, mm. you know, it's, um, it's, it's an act of terrorism. It's taking you someplace you didn't want to go. I find that an interesting word because in some ways, take out the violence, take out the, yeah. that to recreate, to be resilient now, it is going to mean going someplace where you didn't think you were going to go. Yeah. And what it's going to take, Russell, is courageous leadership. Yeah. Well, so we're all screwed, aren't we? <laughs> well, and we don't have courageous leadership because in order to have courageous leadership, you have to have courageous cultures. Yeah. And courageous cultures is that people are encouraged to speak out. They are, in, they are in, and you listen, which means lit, leaders quote, and I'll put it in quote, because we have a lot of people that call themselves leaders. They're not. Yeah. They're not leaders at all. It means that you want to encourage the people who are the micro innovators, the people who are the customer advocates, uh, and then the people who are the problem solvers. And they're going to tell you things, you know what, what you thought you were doing over here? I think that's a better way to do that. So the, the Courageous Conversations, which, by the way, is a great new book coming out by Karen Hurt, H-U-R-T, and David Dye, D-Y-E. It's wonderful. It's, it's going to require humility, transparency, and the energy of connection, which means I'm willing to sit and listen and then how do we begin to create what are the values and how do we move and in small ways too i don't see this as being um this tidal wave because that ends up it's going all the way from one end to the other you know how do we begin to take one step at a time and create what we want that is new yes and and i think actually it's interesting i'm also interested in this idea of um it's a sort of trend I hear rolling out of the state, radical candor, um, courageous conversations and such like. And I think we've lost the art of just having conversations where we're not worried about hurting people's feelings. Because what we've forgotten how to do is actually have a conversation where we um, are not taking responsibility for other people's feelings all the time. Instead of training and, and developing people to understand how to manage themselves in a way that they can have these conversations. So for me, these are just conversations. These are not mm -hmm. courageous. If you're an, if you're a worker, if you're you know um, in any form of commerce, you have to be able to tell people what they need to hear, whether they want to or not. And I think this is one of the challenges. We've got out of this habit. We've got out of this habit of leaders being able to say what needs to be said because of a slightly benign parental approach which is actually why we have the approach of a lot of millennials, I can't say that word, youngsters not being able to actually handle feedback because we've disempowered people to have feedback because we've disempowered from, from the idea that feedback generates learning and learning is potential. Here we are back at the beginning again. But the more we turn feedback into an event, a special thing rather than just something that's a natural part of the day-to-day -day progress of, of the world, I think that's a bit of a challenge really. I think there's it's it goes both ways um, because I've seen too many organizations in which for to get because feedback goes both ways you know it's Great. not only what you know th these are the things I need you to do but the person says these are the things I need you to hear yeah. um, people are stifled why, why why should I give any ideas it never goes anywhere anyway nobody ever listens to what I'm going to say um, or they're really, you know, shut down. Uh, 
where they might have something really to offer. And so instead of having creating a courageous culture, people are just, hey, don't get me. Nope, nope. I remember um, going into it was a big steel plant. And um, I had on the hard hat and I'm climbing up where they're doing all the, you know, they're melting the, the ore or whatever it is. And there was this big guy sitting up there with all the bells and whistles or whatever he was doing. And he said, um, I'm going to leave here in about three weeks. I'm retiring. And he pointed over to what was the office where the senior people were. And he said, you know what? No one over there has ever come in and ask me what I think we could do to make this better. He said, they don't want to know what I know. Yeah. So when I retire in three weeks, Take it's with going you. with me. Yeah, good for I found that tremendously sad. Hmm. But, but all, too, all too regular, because the problem is leadership. And like I said earlier, if we're, if we're relying on the majority of leaders, we've got a real problem. Because actually most people are not developed in a way that allows them to think about, um, you know, getting into, getting around these ideas of knowledge and such like. I mean, that's just yeah. crass ignorance for any leader not to actually talk to their people, isn't it? Um, one that you would think wouldn't be the case these days, but it is all too common. Yeah. Well, I think also, um, I, I also believe that each one of us is a leader. You don't need a title. Yeah, I and I think you're, you're there. So we all have a sphere of influence. And so in this crazy soil ripped off, looking down at, oh my gosh, what do we have here? Where is it that I personally, to be resilient, where is it that I can create the kind of connections that will give me the energy to begin to make or see what kind of changes have to happen? Because I think there are four resiliency skills. The first one is adaptability. Mm -hmm. And adaptability is the the ability to find multiple ways of responding to any given situation. Um, and we get stuck. We don't do that because we get stuck in negativity. We get stuck in pessimism. We get stuck in, oh my gosh, what'll happen if we don't do those things or we don't take it in. So yeah. adaptability is one. Agility to me is speed coupled with wisdom. So it's one thing to think and feel. It's another thing to do. So how do I put some things in motion and then the other two skills, um, the third one is laughability. I think laughter is a huge resiliency skill. Yeah. You know, the, it, yeah. it just puts things in perspective. Yes. Well, that really um, is think, a, a separate life skill, isn't it, that we've all forgotten oh, to a certain extent, isn't it? Absolutely. I mean, look at some of the crazy things that are being posted yeah. on the internet with all the stuff that's going on. And I think they're, they're, they're put, put there to make you laugh yeah. uh, because you need something to break this intensity. Yeah. And then the, the last one is alignment. Yeah. And alignment to me is that you are lined up with a purpose that is bigger than you. Yes. And it's, it's the, it's the Victor Frankl, you know, yes. that man or woman can survive any what if you have a why. Yes. And I think that's another thing that we are, we also seek that can allow us to grow through is mm -hmm. what's this bigger, you what's this bigger reason? And I think no one is here by accident. Mm -hmm. No one. Well, well, the good thing is that, and I think the point about resiliency is that you and I, I think, could have a quite interesting disagreement about many of the things we've talked about today but we wouldn't fall out at the end of it, nor would we take a position that said that we wouldn't actually listen to each other. 
nor would we we do that thing where we go away and actually ponder on what we've heard and think mm. to yourself well I wonder and that's interesting I wonder and maybe I should find out more and I think we've lost this and I don't think that's a courageous conversation for me this is a normal conversation where two people who who can have a view on something backed up by evidence or whatever it might be can come together and actually have these conversations I, for, I think we've forgotten these sorts of conversations. I remember years ago, I was working in a, a, in a media um, organization and um, it was um, at the point where um, newspapers were still produced and, you know, and there was a journalist deciding whether to use one word or another. And the head of editorial and the head of distribution were literally up front of each other, nose to nose, screaming at <laughs> each other, screaming at each other. And, um, and then the, the decision was made, the button was pressed, the, the presses rolled and they both walked away. And I looked at them saying, you know, you two must be um, about to kill each other. And they're both completely calm and said, no, it's just a, it's just a difference of opinion. <laughs> we just express it very, very, very light in a very lively way. But there was no emotional content. Right. And that's right. the difference, isn't it? We seem to have forgotten that it's possible to have disagreement without it getting bent out of shape or turn right. it into a fight. It's That's right. Necessary. How to disagree without being disagreeable. Yeah, exactly. Is it. So, you know, from where I am sitting right now, uh, your listeners don't know that I, behind you is a, is a, looks like a flip chart of, or something that's got a star in the middle and I see different colors, but I cannot see the words that are on it. That's all resilience. So I am sure. But we're here to talk about yours. <laughs> no, but I want to know because, see, I'm always, to me, I can always learn just because I come with one way of looking at it doesn't mean there aren't more more valuable or something that could expand what it is that I know that's you're very, I, kind I of very generous but everyone's heard my opinions on resilience a lot so you and I can talk about that later but what we're going to do talk a little <laughs> bit about more a little bit about you because that's much more important at the moment so um so I, I'm fascinated by your ideas and I know like like myself you're very interested in the whole idea of burnout as well so do you, do you want to um i have some very clear ideas about burnout so i'd be fascinated to hear yours as but well i'd because, like to hear yours well you're going first because you're the guest oh okay okay <laughs> <laughs> does that mean i don't have to do the dishes <laughs> oh, you mentioned I'm it. The guest. <laughs> um all right well i have a book coming out august 4th called burnout to breakthrough building resilience to refuel recharge and reclaim what matters and this book came about because in this con in this overarching you know people hiring me organizations bringing me in to speak on resilience for the last two and a half i'd say three years almost inevitably wrestle it had been in the context of burnout when you have five thousand pharmacists give you a standing ovation because you talked about overcoming, using resilience to overcome burnout and they're standing. And it wasn't about me. It was about the fact that they needed to figure out we are feeling so fried. Yeah. And because of that, I decided, okay, I need to write this book. And it's no small coincidence that in May of this past year, not this year, 2019, that the World Health Organization, you know, be yeah. listed burnout and its classification as an occupational hazard. Yeah. And so what, what I decided is I needed to look at, and I did, there are four, five different case studies that are in there that I trace through, through what seems to be a process mm. for how do I begin to build resilience in order to refuel. Um, and what's interesting, Russell, is that 
I had to turn the manuscript into the publisher in December. Then we hit February and March. Yes, sounds familiar. And now it's really, it's even worse. Yeah. And what makes it worse, what I'm seeing in the research that's coming across my desk is that the people who thought, okay, just give me one day at home, you know, let me work from house one day. Now the burning out is because I cannot go into an office yeah. because now I am juggling. I, I have a three-year-old and, and I'm trying to do homeschooling with the 10-year-old and um, I, I don't get to talk to my colleagues the way I did because sometimes Burnout isn't so much the work that we're doing, quote, for salary, that work was the place of release because what was difficult was at home. Oh, absolutely. So I think the World Health Organization actually only scratched the surface, that yeah. we have to look at all of the ways in which, as Freudenberger said back in the 70s, mm -hmm. that we have, it is a feeling of exhaustion. Mm. absolute exhaustion due to trying to achieve some unrealistic expectation imposed upon by yourself or society. The expectation is I have to work this way. And, and that's really interesting, isn't it? Because whilst you have that going on, you've got a load of people who of course are, you know, pontificating on Facebook and social media about how brilliant they're doing, they're doing at the moment, how they're homeschooling their 10 year old and they're doing macrame puzzles and they're doing this and they're creating this fantastic life. And you can look at your, when you get to that narrow stage of burnout, you lose, you know, you get into that sort of tunnel mode. You can, you get, you sort of lose this perspective that most of those people are actually going through the same thing, but just lying to themselves about where they really are. And, and I think there's, um, it's, it's, it's a really difficult problem at the moment because as, and I totally agree with you on this, you know, people can be burned out wherever, wherever yeah. they are. And whilst I, I admire the WHO for actually coming out and saying it was a work-based stuff, I mean, how much burnout comes from homes, you know, mm. and, and it's not just um, this idea of being frazzled to death, it's rusting to death, isn't it? This idea of being so underutilized as well, so put you know terminally bored by what you're doing you can actually that's almost, a great that's a great point yeah you can feel your brains literally liquefying and dripping out of your ears you know that's, that's a great that's point. burnout as well yeah you know i wrote my first book in 1984 the title is work for a living and still be free to live yeah and as far as we can figure it was the first book that ever looked at this notion of quote balance and I'm putting it in quotes because you and I both know there is no such thing yeah. and authentic work, work yeah. that fed your spirit. Yeah. And now here we come 1984, my goodness. Now here we are in 2020 mm. and it's, it's like, it's, it's, it, it hasn't, it hasn't shifted. It yeah. hasn't shifted. So I can be burned out being totally, absolutely bored, stupid. Yeah. Um, because I'm going through the motions. And so what we're missing is this idea of the why. Mm -hmm. what, what is it that would feed my spirit? So really smart people in, the, in talent management are saying um, not, you know, what are you good at? But what is it that you would really love to do? Yeah. And how can we find a place for you in the organization to do that which intrigues you, that which excites you? Um, so, for example, I'm very good at writing press releases, but in one of my jobs, and actually was the one that preceded starting my own organization, I, I thought if I write another press release, I'm going to throw up. I can't stand this. I yeah. hate it. 
and I don't care about these clients because they're missing the boat. It's not about the whose face is on the cover of a magazine. It's that you're missing the relationships with each other inside and your customers. Yeah. Um, and so I was burning out doing that. Yeah, supposedly something you loved. And the thing yeah, is, well, you can, it was something you, I was good at. Yeah. See, that's wow. it. We look at what are you good at? Yeah. Just because I'm good at it doesn't mean it's the thing that feeds me. And that's the thing, isn't it? You you get this thing in, in work creation. And people forget burnout is if we're thinking about the organizational thing, it's a problem for the organization, not the individual. And you, and you often say to people, what are you good at and what do you like doing? That doesn't actually mean that's what the organization needs either. And sometimes we forget that. That's what development's for. You know, sometimes right. sometimes it's the job of a leader to spot something in people around them that says, um, you know, this is an opportunity for you to really do something different. And, and sometimes, Russell, it's up to the, it. Maybe it's not even some. It's up to the individual to yes. say, maybe where I am in this quote, and I'll put it in. You know, there's no such thing as nine to five. Nobody works nine to five anymore at all. But that, how else can I bring something else? That so this feeds my family, but I've got this thing over here. And mm -hmm. I saw a wonderful example of this last May. I was in a major cancer hospital. Uh, here in the States, and uh, there was a children's wing to the hospital. And on the window of the children's wing was, was painted this very fanciful elephant. Oh, great. And I found out that one of the housekeepers loved to paint. And so what she did, she had their permission, when she had free time, a break, she would paint the windows of the children's wings yeah. with the elephant. Yeah. And when she, a housekeeper now, she's a housekeeper, you know, or, or well, they call them environmental services. So when she would go into a patient's room, sometimes she would have made, drawn a little card and left it for them with a note. Yeah. Um, she was, she took the quote job of housekeeper and said, how do I transform this into something that allows me to bring another part of me here? Yeah. And, and, and I think we disenfranchise ourselves by taking accountability away because actually mm -hmm. if I'm going to be a housekeeper, or I'm going to do anything or a podcast guest or whatever it is, it's, you know, it's part of our accountability to say, well, actually, why don't I turn that into something? For myself because we can well, spend you know eight and a, ten hours a day being miserable or we can you know have some sort of productive input into that and that's our choice really you know right. and i think people people spend too much time in the victim state going well actually you're not allowing me to do this and you're not doing this and you're not doing that and you forget actually you're part of the equation right right well when you said that what, what's that that old classic story about the two bricklayers you know one of them saying what are you doing i'm laying bricks and the other yeah. one said i'm building a cathedral that's right you know it's same same ac activity but i'm glad, I'm glad you said we... that because normally it's I'm, I'm flying someone to the moon so i'm pleased about that it's nice to have a new one <laughs> <laughs> you and i could chat for hours and perhaps one day okay. we will but sadly, I have to be very respectful of you all time. Um, how do people find out more about you, Eileen? Tell us your, um, your, your sort of connection. Well, thank you. Thank you for asking. Obviously, hopefully, they will see my name on the podcast. Yeah. So you can just go to www.eileenmacdar and you will yeah. find me. You can go on Amazon.com, put in my name, and you will see all the different books that I have. Um, you can also pre-order the Burnout to... Uh, burnout to Breakthrough. It comes out August 4th. 
Yeah, I'll be um, That's probably the best way. I'm I'm on LinkedIn. Uh, I'm my Twitter handle is Mac Darling. M A C D A R L I N G. Mac Darling. Uh, so you can find me, talk to me. You can email me, Eileen at EileenMacDar.com. Um, I do respond to emails because conversation is important. Great. It's been a joy to have you here today. And I really enjoyed it. And, um, oh, you're doing that symbol. I don't know how you do that. It's one of those, isn't it? I always get this mixed up. do this. Look, <laughs> but when, those of you who are on the podcast can't see. I, yeah. I made a little heart with my, with my fingers, and I'm just holding it up to say I, I love to do this. Yeah. Poor old Russell can't get his fingers to do it, but I know he wanted to. It's arthritis. So Let's just say you. it's that. <laughs> Thanks so much. You're welcome. It's been a real pleasure to talk to you. You take care. Hi, everybody. I hope you found that episode useful and interesting. Feedback is always welcomed. And if you're in the mood to subscribe to us or even leave a comment on iTunes or Stitcher, that would be amazing. If you want to suggest ideas or even people you would like me to interview, then reach out to us at qedod.com forward slash contact. As I said earlier, you can go to qedod.com forward slash podcast for show notes or follow the links. And you can go to qedod.com forward slash extras to access offers, tools and resources, including free articles and ebooks. For those of you that would be interested in supporting our work and contributing more proactively, you can find our new Patreon page at patreon.com, then search for Resilience Unraveled. I look forward to being in your ear next time around. Take care.